Thanks for tuning into the ES First podcast. We'd love to connect with you on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. So take a minute to hop on over and give us a like or a follow. And of course, if you're ever in Excelsior Springs, stop on by. We can't wait to welcome you home. Well, welcome back to ES First. I'm so excited uh, to be here today. I'm excited that you braved the cold and the storm. I prayed in that storm so that way it would keep the people at bay that couldn't handle a nice meaty word from the Lord. You know what I'm saying? I'm excited to be in the pulpit today. I want to say thank you to our pastors for entrusting me with this great honor. Uh, I appreciate your confidence in me. Thank you to our First Lady, Nancy Joe, who paves a wide path for women in ministry. You'll see it all over here at ES First. Thank you to my husband, who props me up in everything that I do. I tell him this all the time, so I'll tell you too. He's better than me in every way, and I don't deserve him. So thank you for choosing me every day. I wouldn't be in this pulpit if or not for your support. So I was looking, I was interested to see, this is actually my second time preaching at ES First, and I was like, man, it's been a while, right? And so I had to um, consult Facebook to see when was the last time I actually preached in this pulpit on a Sunday at 10 a.m., and it was 2017. It's been four years And I was like, that can only mean one of two things. Either I have matured in the last four years in such a way that our pastors was like, maybe she can handle it again. And so they asked me. Or the other thing is possibly you guys have matured in such a way that our pastors thought they could unleash the beast. Okay. Because I am the youngest in my family, which gives me a birthright to be rough around the edges. If you have ever been uh, close with me, which many of you have, or worse yet, you've served under my leadership, you know that I don't mince words. I, I say what I mean, and I mean what I say, and I'm a respecter of all people, but uh, like I said, I don't mince words. So... Um, I think it's possibly that I've matured, has nothing to do with your maturity. It's not you, it's me. Hopefully that's the only time you have to hear that on Valentine's Day. Amen? Not trying to get broke up with on Valentine's Day. I, uh, I, I, I like when pastors start with like a joke or Johnny was here, my brother, and preached a month ago. He started with a magic trick. And I was like, yeah, I was like trying to prepare, like, what's going to be my shtick, right? Like, I've got to be like a good joke teller or something. I realized I don't know any magic. I am not funny at all. In fact, I am admittedly the worst joke teller you will ever be around. If you get the privilege of hearing me tell a joke, um, I'm sorry in advance. So instead, I'm just going to get into the word of God. Is that all right? Sorry. Well, I will do one thing. I, I want to help you eliminate some distractions. You'll find in life that anytime you try to intentionally make time for something that will better your life, you're going to have distractions, right? Like, it's just the law of the world. It's just the way it is. So I'm going to help you eliminate some distractions today because you're in the house of God to receive word from the Lord. So take out your cell phones and put them on silent, please. 
Brandon is an expert. He can preach through someone literally taking a call in the middle of service. I've seen him do it twice in 2021, and we are not that far into the year. And if you're not using your cell phone as a Bible and you don't have a kid wandering around somewhere and you think they might call, go ahead and power that cell phone off. As I was thinking about distractions, when we come to receive the word of God, I imagine it's like if you are a parent and you're giving your kids gifts at Christmas, right? It's an exciting time. What if the whole time you are handing them gifts and maybe the TV's over here, right? And they watch the TV the whole time and they open these presents and just push them to the side and then you give them another one and they'd never lose focus on the TV and they open the gifts and they push them to the side and you're like, hello, do you know how much money I spent on those gifts? I'm giving you something for your life. Pay attention. And I wonder if God's the same way when we come into his house and we're distracted. I'm just going to use our cell phones because that's the easiest example. There's a lot of distractions, right? And uh, halfway through the message or maybe just as I'm about to deliver uh, maybe the first impactful thing because who knows, like I said, it's been four years. I might be a little rusty. You're uh, playing a quick game of Candy Crush Saga, checking in on Facebook and God is looking at you, his child, saying, hello, I have something for you. Don't you know how much I paid for you to be able to receive those words? So today, let's just try to push out distractions. The last thing I'm going to do to help you do that, I like this like kind of centering your body. We're going to take three deep breaths together. Whatever happened this morning, wherever you're going to lunch, whatever snow is happening, whatever is on your mind that is distracting you, let's work to push it out. And my favorite way is to center my mind. I'm kind of weird. Like I said, I'm the youngest. I'm a millennial. It's just to take some deep breaths. You have no idea how much that just helps you focus. So I want you to just close your eyes. If you want to lower your mask for just this portion of the sermon, you're welcome to not breathe in your own CO2 for a moment. So together, let's just close our eyes, take a deep breath in through your nose. Out through your mouth. One more in through your nose. And out through your mouth. In through your nose, and out through your mouth. Father God, I thank you for your presence in this place. I thank you for the healing that you've already administered in this building through worship. I thank you that there is no place that we can go that you are not there, that you never leave us, you never forsake us, you never turn your back on us. There is nothing that we can do to separate us from your love. I thank you that there's no mountain too high or valley too deep that you can't reach us. Father God, reach us in this room this morning. Let the words of my lips and the meditations of my heart be pleasing and acceptable unto you today. Holy Spirit, fill me up, speak through me, Speak to your people in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's open our Bibles to John 15. And we're going to read verses 9 through 17. This is Jesus speaking, by the way, at the Last Supper. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, then you remain in my love. Just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you'll be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other 
In the same way I have loved you, there is no greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves, because a master does not confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends, since I have told you everything the Father has told me. You didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my commandment, love. When I found out that I was going to be speaking, preaching, giving a sermon on Valentine's Day, I was thrilled. I was like, yes, a hundred times yes. It was like a, a pride and prejudice moment for me. And I was like, yes. And then I immediately turned around and said to God, except I will not preach on love on Valentine's Day, because that's cliche, right? That's so cliche. And there's a, there's a Yiddish proverb that says, we make plans and God laughs. You ever have those moments? Like, yes, God, but here's the way I'm going to do it, right? And then you run around in circles and circles and circles, and then you finally say, okay, God, let's do it your way, because I was preparing for this message, and I would sit and pray, and then I would listen, hoping to get some insight from God on what he wanted to say to his people. And I would sit and pray, and then I would listen. For the ladies in the room, this is what listening sounds like. Luckily, your husbands have masks on, so you can't see them smiling. I'm throwing myself under the bus too, right? Because when we ask questions, it's like this. So what do you think we should do in the backyard? Because I was thinking, where do you think we should go to dinner? Because I was thinking... Right, so when I speak to God, I have to work on my listening skills. And in one of those moments I was listening, this song from my childhood started to play over and over in my mind, like a lullaby that turned into a nightmare. It was like, this is my commandment, that you love one another, that your joy may be full. Anybody else know that song? I was just, just curious. Yeah, so you've heard it. I knew Amy Jones had heard it. I knew Josh has heard it because we grew up in the same time period, in the same sort of assemblies of God upbringing, and it kept playing over and over again in my head, and I was like, that's so nice, Jesus, but I told you I'm not preaching on love, and it never could escape me, as the teenagers say today, my new favorite phrase, it lived in my head rent-free, just rent-free over and over and over again. So I, I gave in and I started to study out this scripture, John 15. And I read it in some different verses because that part of that song comes from like verses 11 and 12 and it's kind of backwards in the Bible the, or maybe the songwriters got it wrong, I don't know. I've told you these things that you would be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy would overflow. This is my commandment. Love one another. But I like that concept that your joy would be made full, right, through love. And so I read it in some different uh, translations of the Bible. And I, I found that it said in, in one version it says, your happiness may be complete. That your joy would be made perfect. Jesus says that my joy would be your joy. Wouldn't you like to have like the living, breathing joy of Jesus Christ actually be your own joy? He's giving us instruction of how that can happen here. And finally, another version says your joy would be filled full. And I like this version because it's very visual for me. I imagine a vase sitting on a table and it can be filled 
as much as you want it to with water, right? And uh, if, you, if you consider that your joy vase, you can have joy that has fills your vase so full that it is overflowing. And this is like Melody Donovan joy, right? That, that when you hang out with her, her joy gets on you because she dances around and she points to the sky. And you can just be talking about like trees and birds and she's like, man, that just reminds me of Jesus. And you're like, really? Because her joy is overflowing in such a way that gets onto you. You can probably point to moments in your life where you can say, yeah, on that day, my joy was so completely full that it overflowed. You can probably also point to days in your life and say, I had no joy on that day. Maybe you experienced some, some trauma or some things in your life where you say, my joy vase was completely empty. Still on other days, and this is probably most common, you can look at your joy vase and say, it's half empty, half full. You know, it was a pretty good day, but I had some moments. And that's why I like that version, that your joy would be filled full. It's very visual for me. And I also like this scripture because, like I said, it's Jesus speaking, and he says, this is my commandment. This is my commandment. Now, every other commandment we've received so far in the Bible has come from prophets, has come from law, has come from the inspired word of God breathed into people that penned it down on paper. But here's Jesus, and he says, this is my commandment. And it's a very big differentiating factor for me anyway. And I wondered, like, why is this his commandment? And then I, I just started thinking of, like, how do we have ownership over something, particularly our words and our commands? Well, he spoke it. He spoke it into existence, right? And he demonstrated it during his ministry on earth. And he continually taught about it and how it works. If you read his teachings, you'll find this commandment of love through and through. In fact, just earlier, you don't have to turn there. It's uh, John 13, 34. Same time, he's sitting down at the the Last Supper, and he says to his disciples, now I give you a new commandment to love one another. And he goes on to say that we will be known as his disciples when people experience our love, right? This is Jesus's commandment. And I was like, why is this so important to Jesus? Now, I've, I've been in church my whole life. My brother, Brandon, is a preacher, and he is like love to the core, right? It's almost like Brandon's commandment that you love, right? So I've heard this, this concept of love and how God calls us to it, and I understand God's love, but why is this the most important commandment of all? So I want you to turn with me to Matthew 22, where Jesus talks about why. Because I like to know the why behind the what. You know what I mean? Our culture is kind of, kind of obsessed with know your why. This is my why. This is something me and Brandon talk about a lot, right? Moms, maybe you've, you've started being entrepreneurs and you're like, my kids are my why because I want to be at home with my children. Or maybe you're getting in shape and you're like, this is my why. And you post a picture of yourself playing sports. Like, I want to be able to play sports again. This is my why. So behind the commandment of love is a very, very big why. And I want to explore that with you this morning. So Matthew 22, and we'll go to verse 36. Someone asked Jesus, teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally as important. 
love your neighbor as yourself. So here he gives us, these are the two most important commandments. And he tells us why in verse 40. Because the entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. So I did a little background research for you so you wouldn't have to do it. But if you look at just simply the Ten Commandments, every single one falls under these two categories. Love God, love people. Things like don't kill, don't covet what is your neighbor's. That falls under love people, right? Because if I love Sam, it's very unlikely that I'm going to kill her, right? It's like a sub-commandment of love other people. There's some commandments that talk about loving our God, things like have no other idols before me. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. All falls under the category of the greatest commandment of all, which is love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. So how do we achieve this love? How do we remain in this love? That's what Jesus is talking about in John 15 that we read originally. I, in fact, that is out of the New Living Translation. That's the Bible I read most of the time. My husband reads the NIV, so I looked it up in his version, and I like the way the NIV reads because it says, if you love me, then keep my commands. If you love me, then keep my commands. So obedience is a sign of love. We understand this, right? When we're obedient to our spouse, our parents, people that we love. It's a sign of love. So I want to give you kind of like a visual. When we are acting in obedience, then we are showing and abiding in God's love. When we abide in God's love, according to the scripture, then we can have joy overflowing. And as I was studying this out, one of those uh, rent-free songs started playing in my head again, and it reminded me that the joy of the Lord is my strength. So is it possible that if you're lacking in strength in any of your areas in your life, you can trace it all the way back to lack of obedience to the commands of God? I'm going to say it one more time because I'm going to move on to a whole other concept and try to rope it back in. Obedience equals love. Love produces joy. Joy produces strength. Got it? Good. Because I, uh, I don't like to cut and paste scripture when I speak to any group of people. No pastor does. It's our responsibility to make sure that we're communicating the word of God correctly. And so I was like, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Where is that found? And I wasn't at home with my Bible when that came to my mind. So I looked it up on my phone really quick, and it was Nehemiah 8.10. And I thought, oh, yeah, I know the story of Nehemiah. That makes sense because Nehemiah was a guy in the Bible, in the Old Testament, that helped, that led a bunch of people in building, rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. And I know just from my childhood and, and being in church that as they were rebuilding the walls, it was not easy. Can you imagine rebuilding a wall around Excelsior Springs, not an easy task. And this was like 500 BC, right? It wasn't like, well, call up Tony and bring down the excavator. You know, it's like they had a lot of work to do. I don't even know what an excavator is, by the way. <laughs> I got it right? Good. 
tried to channel my inner Dustin. Y'all don't know, he's got a real southern accent. You just hear his drum playing, but he's got a draw. That's a lot of dirt. <laughs> Can you imagine rebuilding or rebuilding either way? It might be easier to start from scratch. Building a wall around your city. And on top of that, because they're doing a great work for the Lord, like any other time you're doing a great work for the Lord, they received opposition from the people that didn't want to see God's work accomplished. And so I was thinking, well, this must have been in the middle of them building the wall, right? And, and Nehemiah is giving this as a rallying cry. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Get back to work. And I was like, oh, Jesus, is this my out to not have to preach on love? Because I can preach on get back to work all day long. I was wrong, admittedly. He did not use it in the middle of rebuilding the wall. If you want to turn your Bibles to Nehemiah, we're going to be reading in verse 8. Nehemiah 8. So let me give you a background of what's happening, because if I read Nehemiah 1 through 8, you guys would be like, it's going to be another four more years, right, before she preaches again. So what's happening in this time period for the children of God, the children of Israel, the tribe of Judah, is that for a long time they lived in exile. Exile means you can't return to your home country, your native land, because they were captured in battle and taken to Babylon, and they were in Babylonian exile. And they couldn't go back to Jerusalem, which is a very, very big deal in the Jewish culture. You'll read in your Bible how people have love for Zion, that's Jerusalem. People talk about the holy city, that's Jerusalem. They were in exile, they could not go back to Jerusalem. Once that exile was lifted, they came back to Jerusalem in droves, first under the leadership of a guy named Zerubbabel. Say that with me this morning, Zerubbabel. Completely unimportant to my message, I just wanted to have a little interaction. First drove of Israelites come back to Jerusalem under the leadership of Zerubbabel. The second drove of Israelites that come back to Jerusalem are under the leadership of Ezra, who's a priest and a scribe. And when he gets on the scene, the people that come with him rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. And then Nehemiah, man, I want to expound on this, but I can't. I got too much to say later. Brandon gave me a very strict timeline. You guys think I'm the strict time person? The third drove of Israelites came back to Jerusalem under the leadership of Nehemiah. And Nehemiah had one goal and one vision in mind. And that was to rebuild the city walls around Jerusalem and repair the city gates. That would mean that Jerusalem was then complete. So that brings us to Nehemiah 8, all of that. I would encourage you to read Nehemiah. Here's why. It reads like a, a storybook. It's a very easy read for an Old Testament book. Read the story of Nehemiah. That's just a recap of what was happening. So we're going to pick up in Nehemiah 8. The city walls have been repaired. The gates have been restored. The temple is standing firm and the people begin to gather. So Nehemiah 8, I think we're going to go 1 through 3 to start. All the people assembled with a unified purpose at the square just inside the water gate. Not Watergate scandal, old people. 
Just inside the water gate, they asked Ezra the scribe to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given for Israel to obey. See, see what's happening here? So on October 8th, Ezra the priest and scribe brought the book of the law before the assembly, which included the men and women and all of the children old enough to understand. He faced the square just inside the water gate. From early morning until noon, he read aloud to everyone who could understand. All the people listened closely to the book of the law. So just so we're on the same page, the book of the law is in Jewish culture called the Torah. In our culture, called the Pentateuch, and even more importantly in our culture, called the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So they come into the city gates. Ezra stands up on this podium, and he begins just reading the first five books of the Bible, because that was their Bible at the time. The chapter of Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah didn't exist because they were living it. You know what I'm saying? So they're reading the book of the law, and in an effort to save some time, verses 6 through 6 and 7 talk about how he brought with him a bunch of interpreters, some Levites, to interpret the word of God to the people. And we're going to pick back up in verse 8, Mason. So they read from the book of the law and clearly explained the meaning of what was being read, helping the people understand each passage. That reminds me of ES first. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who were interpreting for the people said to them, don't mourn or weep on such a day as this, for today is sacred before the Lord your God. This is so confusing to me. For the people had all been weeping as they listened to the law. Okay? Thanks, Jesus, for this inspirational message. And Nehemiah continued, go and celebrate with a feast of rich foods and sweet drinks and share gifts of food with people who have nothing prepared. This is a sacred day before our Lord. Don't be dejected and sad. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. And I was like, that doesn't work for my sermon. Thanks, Jesus. And I felt like, I literally like closed my Bible and I was like, I missed the mark. I'm going to have to go back to John 15. And I felt a prompting in my spirit that said, don't just read it, Allison, study it. Because there's a difference, right? In reading the word of God and then in digging down and figuring out the meaning of what God's saying in a moment for our lives. So, because I like you guys so much, I stayed the course. And what I found was during Babylonian exile, the Israelites spoke in Aramaic. The Torah The word of God, the Bible, was written in Hebrew. So they had gone through a long period of time where they could not understand the word of God because it was written in a foreign language, and they were under exile so they could not get to Jerusalem to hear the instruction of God for his people. And in this moment, like I said, Ezra brought with him like 20 interpreters. Actually, I want to say it's 13. 
so that the people could understand, they could hear and understand and completely grasp what God was saying in his word. And in this moment, God's people began to weep because they felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit. When they heard the instruction of the law, they were like, we didn't know. We couldn't understand it. We couldn't apply it to our lives, but we do love our God. We do love our creator and we want to act in obedience, but we couldn't. And they're sobbing under this conviction, under this sadness of understanding that they had not been remaining in God's love because they had not had the opportunity to be obedient to his word. Sometimes, sometimes we put ourselves in a self-induced Babylonian exile. Sometimes we walk around and we carry on as if the word of God is written in a foreign language. As if we can't understand and apply it to our lives. Self-induced Babylonian exile. And as I prepared this message, I thought about one time my, my friend Caitlin told me that we can wield influence over people more impactfully. And we can impact, sorry to use the word again, impact people's lives more effectively when we tell our story with vulnerability. And I was like, thanks, Caitlin, but no thanks. I am a very private person. I do not like sharing my struggles, my downfalls. And so instead, I was like, well, maybe I'll talk about this Babylonian exile with the things that I struggle with on a broad view, with the things that I know we as Christians struggle with from time to time, with the things I know that my students struggle with and my my siblings struggle with and my husband struggles with and like I said, my, me myself struggle with and I would give you a list of things that you may be operating in Babylonian exile under. Doesn't that sound like a really uplifting sermon? <laughs> Instead, I thought I would take Caitlin's advice and be a little bit vulnerable and now I'm not gonna open up my life story to you. That'll be in the next four years. But I wanna give you an example of a time that I was stuck in my own Babylonian exile. Because uh, with every yes in your life, it carries with it an implied no. And with every no in your life, it carries with it an implied yes. Let me explain. If you say yes to your boss to stay an hour late at work, you say no to your family and spending that hour with them. If you say yes to going to the gym every day, you say no to remaining in the same body that you had for the last five years, or whatever the case may be, right? With every yes comes with it an implied no. With every no comes with it an implied yes. So many of you know, in 2020, I broke my leg and my ankle. 
very gracefully jumping off the back of a skateboard as it was rolling forward. And so I had a surgery and they repaired it and it was kind of crappy because I couldn't walk for like 10 weeks. And after those 10 weeks, I started walking again. Some of you were here for this, right? You saw me, I started walking on crutches and I could get up here and play a little piano sitting on my behind, leading worship. And then after a little while, I started to be able to walk in my boot. I was like getting my stride back. I hear I have a certain power walk. Aggressive by nature I am. And I was starting to get that stride back, and I was feeling really good, and I was like, yeah, we're on the road to recovery. Da, 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 da. And then I had to have a second surgery to remove the hardware from my ankle. And I thought, in my stubborn alley mind, it's cool because... This is not a repair surgery. It's just a removal surgery. They're going to cut me open, take out the screws, sew me up, and I'm going to be back to that same kind of like boot walking pace. Much to my surprise, I was not. I was back to not walking. And it was so bad, I couldn't even put my walking boot on the swelling and the stitches wouldn't allow for it. <laughs> so I was back to being in a wheelchair. That was not my plan. And after that surgery, I fell into a pretty dark spot. Some like major moments of depression, anxiety, fear, doubt, bitterness, anger, and it got worse through the week. The surgery was early in the week, and it just got worse and worse and darker and darker, and my ankle was not getting better and better. It was getting worse and worse throughout the week, and Saturday night, it was about as bad as I have ever felt in my entire life, mentally, physically, emotionally, and I was just sobbing sobbing myself to sleep. I knew one of two things would happen. I would throw up or I would fall asleep. You ever cried that hard? You know, like, I'm going to throw up if I don't stop crying. And I said to my husband, I planted in myself the biggest seed of doubt. And I said, I can't go to church tomorrow. And I fell asleep with his hand on my back. And Sunday morning, the alarm went off. And the first thing out of my mouth was, I'm not going to church. I'm, I'm not going. You're going to have to go without me. And so he did. And in that moment, I said no to the commands of God. And yes to the lies of the devil. I put myself in a Babylonian exile so I can't understand and apply the word to my life that says, if any among you is sick, call for the elders of the church. Anoint them with oil. The prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise them up. I said, no, that word's not for me. And I said, yes, to the lies of the devil that said the Lord can't raise you up. Stay at home. Stay in bed. I said no to the commands of God that say, forsake not the gathering of the saints. And yes, to the lies of the devil that said the saints cannot see you like this, Allison, you are a leader. I said no to the word of God, and yes 
to the lies of the devil. And I'll tell you what, thank God I didn't lose my salvation because our salvation is not based on obedience. It's based on accepting the free gift of salvation from God. But I tell you what, I lost my strength. I did not have my joy because I was not abiding in God's love by keeping his commandments. It was the first and I hope the last time I say no to the commands of God to have myself here or in a church every Sunday morning, every Sabbath, because what I experienced after that was almost worse than the week before because I did not get built up by the saints. I did not receive prayer. I did not remain in his love. The second week, even though I could walk, was almost worse than the first week, all because I said no to the word of God. So like I said, I'm not going to give you a list of the commands of God that maybe you're struggling with or that I'm struggling with. I simply want to give you an example of of an area of my life where I struggled. And I'm going to allow the Holy Spirit to do a work that I cannot do, to speak to your heart and speak to your mind about where maybe you need to fall back into alignment with what the word of God says. Because when you do, you'll remain in his love. And when you remain in his love, you will have his joy. And when you have his joy, then and only then will you have the supernatural strength of God living inside of you, breathing through every breath that you breathe, fortifying your mind, pushing you forward for the work that's ahead of you. I'm like Nehemiah. I wouldn't leave you down in the dumps and say, We'll talk to the Holy Spirit. Let him convict you. See you later. I'm going to declare a promise over your lives today. Would you guys stand up with me? Come straight from the word of Nehemiah. And this is for you today. If maybe you're having an Israelite moment where you're like, yeah, I've been missing the mark in some areas of my life. And maybe you're not weeping physically, but you're feeling a, a break in your heart as the Holy Spirit speaks to you, I want to tell you, don't mourn or weep on such a day as this. This is a sacred day before the Lord. Do not be sad. Do not be dejected. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. Here's what I haven't told you about this this day in Nehemiah. The day that they gathered in the city gates was a very special day for them. It's a day called Rosh Hashanah. It's the Jewish New Year. In this moment where they felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit, I was just overwhelmed with the idea that it fell on the same day as the Jewish New Year. The day where they could return to their love. They could make a 180. They could come back to understanding the scripture and applying it to their lives and remaining in the love and experiencing the joy because it is marked by this day in their culture. Today in this place, I declare that ES First Rosh Hashanah is on this day marked by love. Valentine's Day, 2021. For you, it is a new year. For you, it is a new day. A day where you can stop saying, 
I have excuses of why I cannot apply this word of God to my life and saying, I say yes to the word of God and saying no to the ways of the world. Why? Because Jesus came that we would have life and have it more abundantly. And while following every single command of God by every single jot and tittle is not gonna earn you salvation, it is going to give you the life that he designed for you. Every time that you find obedience in your finances, in your relationships, in your words, you're gonna find love for other people and you're gonna find joy in those same areas in your finances in your relationships in your words and then you're going to have strength in your finances in your relationships in your words every time you say yes to the words of God in every area of your life you are going to find strength for that when you say yes to God's peace in your heart you can carry on with strength for God's peace in your home in your workplace, in your community. Don't you think our world could use a little more peace? Why not let it start here? Yes, first Rosh Hashanah, saying yes to peace in my heart, no matter what's happening around me, no matter what's happening in my home, no matter what's happening in the world around me, yes to God's peace that passes all understanding, abiding in his love, being filled up with his joy, moving forward in his strength so that you can walk into any atmosphere and change it with the peace of God that lives inside of you. Every single commandment of God comes with a promise. I call them the if-then promises of the Bible. If you don't know what I'm talking about, Google if-then promises in the Bible. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, then you will have salvation. If you are faithful in the tithe, then God will open up the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you cannot contain it. If you love, then you will have joy. If then promises. Those promises are for you. But they start with obedience. If that's you this morning, you're like, Allison, you know what? I've been missing the mark a little bit. Maybe in small ways, maybe in big ways, maybe like me, in my story just for a couple of weeks, maybe for a year. Maybe you can trace your lack of abiding in God's love all the way back to the beginning of your salvation. You're like, yeah, I've heard some of the things, but I haven't applied them to my lives because I didn't understand that I could. I'd convinced myself, I've allowed the lies of the devil to convince me that I cannot uphold those in my life. And today I wanna be marked by love. I wanna be marked by the new year of ES first. If you wanna make a commitment to move forward in obedience with me this morning, I just want you to raise your hand. Father God, you see your people who are reaching out to heaven. God, reach back down and touch earth in this moment. God, we recommit our lives to being faithful and obedient to your word. And as we do, we commit to abiding in your love and in your commandments. Fill us up with joy, even in this moment, God. Administer joy for the people that need it in this room. For those of us who walked in a little bit sorrowful without complete 
joy, without joy overflowing. Fill them up right now, Father God. Holy Spirit, renew our strengths in our mind, in our body, in our relationships, in our finances, God. We operate in your strength. Holy Spirit, go before us that we would be the head and not the tail. We would be above and not beneath in everything that we do. God, give us peace of mind. Give us supernatural power that we would be a people that see miracles, signs, and wonders everywhere that we go. God, anointing and favor flow through this room to your people. Fill us up to overflowing. We don't want to settle for the status quo anymore, Father God. We want to do things your way because we want to live the abundant life that you have designed for us. Use us to change this world in your name in your name, for your kingdom, and all that we do, Father God, give us power and strength that when we face opposition, that the weapon may be formed to come against us, but it will not prosper. Not for your people, God. We claim goodness, wholeness, healing in this place. Meet us where we're at today. We ask all these things in your name.